I'm Sarah Glover, WHYY's VP of News and Civic Dialogue. In Young, Unhoused, and Unseen, we explore youth homelessness and Gen Z, its root causes, and solutions. We practice empathy and center community voices in our reporting with Temple University's Logan Center for Urban Investigative Reporting. Thank you for taking this journey with us as we examine the issues. Content warning. This episode contains descriptions of trauma and sexual abuse. Can you see me as I walk through the halls? Can you tell that I'm hiding something deep down inside? As I smile and laugh, I'm crying inside, hoping no one asks about my home life. That's an excerpt of a poem written and performed by Michelle Neal. It's a full page inside a successful housing and urban development grant proposal titled, Let's End Youth Homelessness in Philly. Michelle is 28 and lives at Project Home, a nonprofit that provides housing, education, and support for the unhoused. She's been in and out of homelessness since she was a teen. Her story is one of abuse, hardship, and now leadership. I'm Yvonne Laddie, the director of Temple University Klein College's Logan Center for Urban Investigative Reporting. And I'm Kenny Cooper, a reporter at WHYY News. This is Young, Unhoused, and Unseen, a podcast that looks at who Philadelphians see and unsee every day. Homeless young people. This is episode one, The Money. Homelessness in our region looks really different than it does on the West Coast, where tent cities and high-end areas lead to endless news stories, even though how homelessness really looks there is varied. This large homeless encampment blocking the sidewalk on either side, spilling into the street. A sweep happened a few days ago here, too. Now these eco-blocks line the curbs and sidewalks, and business owners here tell me that when a sweep happens, they put these out in hopes tents don't go back up. In some cases, these people can turn violent, and there's no choice but to call 911. But what happens when you call? Uh, To be honest, I don't call the cops. They won't come. In Philly we see adult homeless people in Center City and Columbus Boulevard. Some sleep under the Vine Street Expressway. Those suffering from addiction wander under the L in Kensington. And some homeless people are living with mental health issues. There are the occasional big encampments, like the one at the Benjamin Franklin Parkway a few years ago. This is at 22nd in the Parkway. You can see dozens of tents right across from the Barnes Museum. It was organized by activists and protesters raising the issue of homelessness and affordable housing. The city announced that the protest encampment on the Parkway would be cleared by this Friday, July 17th. The tents at time numbering more than 200 in this fight for permanent housing. So how is the area responding to its new neighbors? One woman says she understands why they are doing this right now, but hopes it does not draw out into anything long term. There's so many vacant houses in the city of Philadelphia. You know, why can't the city do something for people that don't have a place to live? What isn't as visible are homeless youth and young adults. In fiscal year 2022, Philadelphia's Office of Homeless Services served 1,574 young people. That's 9% of the city's homeless population. 
most of whom live in shelters. But critics say the number of homeless youth and young adults is difficult to count. Philadelphia, like other big cities, uses point-in-time counts to gauge the number of homeless people on the streets. City volunteers fan out across Philly and count every homeless person they see and those in shelters for two days in January, the coldest month of the year. The last count was on January 25th, 2023, and found 273 unaccompanied youth and 95 young homeless parents. What's wrong with the point-in-time count? If they do it once a year, that's what's wrong with it. That's David Fair. He is the deputy chief executive officer of Turning Points for Children and co-chair of Philly Homes for Youth, a coalition committed to ending youth homelessness. If they did it every week, if they did it every month, we, would, we could average out what they're finding and have a better... And if they did it throughout the whole city... They don't do it throughout the whole city. They do it in pockets where they know there are populations of homeless people. He estimates the number of young homeless people is very different than HUD's point-in-time counts. I would say half of the homeless youth in Philadelphia are living on couches, couch to couch every night. You're not going to find them through a point-in-time count. You're not going to find the sex workers through a point-in-time count. You know, you're not going to find the ones who are dealing drugs or addicted to drugs necessarily through a point in time count that you do once a year. He says the counts are too random. If you pick the wrong night, if it's a nice night, or if it's not a nice night and the kids are, it's freezing and people don't go out in the street, they're hiding someplace else, you're not going to count them. Michelle was the lead co-author of a U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development Coordinated Community Plan. It is designed to change the trajectory of the lives of hundreds of young adults who have experienced homelessness. It's a proposal filled with hope and a roadmap on how to solve the heartbreak and pain of the young people who sleep on couches, in cars, and on SEPTA, the ones who live in shelters, group homes, and on the streets. Philly's application and plan netted Philadelphia's Office of Homeless Services roughly $8.8 million. Liz Hirsch, the former director of the Philadelphia Office for Homeless Services, or OHS, says it took eight months and 40 young adults to complete this comprehensive plan. With um, all the problems that Philadelphia is facing, this is one problem that can be solved. Oh, yeah. It can totally be solved. OHS has taken a lot of heat for not doing a great job of counting homeless young people. We think there's a lot that we're not capturing. We know that what we have is an undercount and that um, a lot of young people don't come into the homeless system for a variety of reasons. But what she is proud of is this grant and the young people who produced it. They had a whole year of training, like they came every week for two hours and learned about HUD and what all the different programs are and the funding sources. And then they they had the skill base to match all of that expertise that allowed them to talk to policymakers like us and decision makers, but then they could take their own experience and expertise and put it into that framework. So our plan to end youth homelessness was actually developed by young adults 
who themselves have experienced homelessness, and it reflects what they want to accomplish, their values, their experiences, their needs. And it's different than what you and I might come up with. Philadelphia was one of 17 communities awarded the grant through HUD's Youth Homelessness Demonstration Program. Gives the communities with full participation of youth with lived experience of homelessness, gives them an opportunity to really design innovative approaches to address the individual needs of that community for youth. That's Jameen Bryan. She's HUD's Deputy Secretary for the Office of Special Needs. She says since 2016, this program has awarded $437 million to fund new and innovative programs to help homeless young adults. We've done seven rounds of awards um, to about 110 communities across the United States. And in a nutshell, the goal of the Youth Homelessness Demonstration Program is to support selected communities and their development and implementation of a coordinated community approach to addressing uh, youth homelessness or to really assist those youth who are at risk of homelessness. Hirsch resigned from her position on October 13, 2023, shortly after this interview. She held the position for seven years. I think that the young people themselves have done a really good job of speaking up for themselves, of raising their hand and say, yo, we need help. We need more. She says homelessness, like the city's gun violence epidemic, poverty, and many of the city's other crushing issues, falls on the backs of Philly's Black citizens. 88% of the people who uh, enter our system and get housed through our system are Black or African American. It's 43% of the population. That's not an accident, right? This is, you know, the human cost of our history of enslavement and Jim Crow and mass incarceration and all of those things. That's not a coincidence, right? I mean, homelessness is one of the ways that our, you know, long history, long shameful history of racism, you know, gets played out. And, you know, at great cost to young people and older people, but especially men who are black and brown. But Hirsch sees all of this as a call to action. To me, one of the silver linings out of, you know, George Floyd's murder and the Black Lives Matter movement and this whole new era of racial awakening um, and reckoning, this racial reckoning, you know, and I'm old, so I've been through several iterations now, is that I think people have begun to see that homelessness is about race, right? It, it is. It's about the economics of race and opportunity. It is about race, you know, having such a big impact on what your opportunities are in your life. So to me, the work that we do in housing people is indefinitionally anti-racist because you can't get a job, hold a job, reunite with family, go to school, succeed in school, think, you know, have a recovery, be healthy without a place to live. And if you have that place to live, it changes 
everything in your life. And it gives you a platform to figure out and what you want for yourself and to be able to get it. Hirsch believes the HUD funding could help change young lives in a city full of housing extremes. Castles in cardboard boxes. We have the two extremes. Yeah, we've made a lot of progress. You know, our, our numbers of people who are unsheltered are down. Chronically homeless, those numbers are down. Families, family homelessness, all of those things, we have made a lot of progress. Um, but there's a lot more to do. If you walk through Center City, there seems to be on every block folks begging and hustling. Some people look like they're in the middle of a mental health crisis. Others are holding their possessions in shopping bags, overwhelmed by the poverty that has led them to the streets. I think that one of the things about Philly is it's a very tight center city, right, our downtown, and it's a very much of a walking town. And so I think you do more encounter more people. Um, so, yeah, we've made progress. I think nationally, relatively speaking, we're doing very, very well. But is it enough? Is it good enough? Now we have a long way to go. A lot of people who need a lot more than we're giving them. Thayer says the only answer is money spread throughout the system. What we really need is $8 million, in my opinion. We need $8 million at OHS. We need $8 million at DHS. We need $8 million at the Department of Behavioral Health. We need $8 million at the Recreation Department. We need $8 million in any part of city government that touches young people and create a system for what we used to call Opportunity Youth, 18 to 24. Here is where Hirsch and Fair agree. If we can solve homelessness for young adults, we could end the city's homeless crisis as we know it. Kids 18 to 24, we're not going to have 30-year-old homeless people. We're not going to have 50-year-old homeless people in the future because we will have solved their problem when it was still more easily solved. But Brian does not see this freeze in funding as a clear path for ending the city's cycle of homelessness. Youth homelessness requires continuing partnerships and continuing investments from a number of systems, not just the homelessness system, right? We've got to look at child welfare, juvenile justice, the education system, both post-secondary um, education and K-12, through and other partners. This funds, I mean, it certainly, uh, under the YHDP program, provides sort of a catalyst um, for that investment and for creating these partnerships and, and systems. Um, and it's, it's hard to say, right? It's, uh, for in the case of Philadelphia, it's yet to uh, be determined whether they are on a good path for ending youth homelessness in X period of time. It's really unknown. The HUD grant can be renewed, so this pipeline of funding could continue. After the two years, then these projects are eligible for automatic renewal on an annual basis. So um, it is in place as long as there is, you know, performance, great outcomes, um, and application for renewal. Hey, Kenny. Hey. How are you? Good, how are you? Good, good. Ready? Well, we're early. Yeah. Let's do it. Yvonne and I meet at the opening event for Self Inc.'s new office in Center City. It's a celebration of their soon-to-be-opened young adult group home called Miss Barber's House. 
The facility was funded by $1 million of the HUD grant. Kids living in the streets should not be. Self Inc. has been around for 41 years and is the largest provider of emergency housing in the city. A crowd sits and gathers in their conference room as Self Inc. director Sherlana Dash stands and talks about their mission. The work that we every day do is life changing. And so we thank you all for taking the time to come out and kind of talk to us and see who we are and what we're here for. We're excited. Self has over seven shelters, over 36 scattered housing, and we're growing and expanding. Miss Barbara's house is personal to Dr. Dash. It's named after her mother, who lived in North Philly and helped neighborhood children in need. Miss Barbara's house will be the organization's first transitional home for young people who are homeless. There will be partnerships with trade unions for apprenticeships, mentorships to help them get jobs with livable wages, and everything they need to live productive lives. But today we're kind of talking about Miss Barbara's house. What the goal is, we have one mission, but we're here to help homelessness stop in this city. And it starts with one program, one person, one helping hand at a time. Sitting at the conference table is board member and former Philly mayor, Wilson Good. There's no way that all of the resources that this city has, and that not only from the city government itself, but also from people who live here, there's enough additional resources in this city to make sure that these young people have a place to sleep at night and food to eat. And we have to just do that. We have to do it. I was in foster care from 16 until I was 21. When I aged out of foster care, I ended up going into transitional housing. That's Michelle Neal, the poet and lead grant writer we heard from earlier. She's an intern at OHS's Youth Homeless Demonstration Program, where she helps facilitate and plan meetings and organize events. She entered foster care at 16. Her mother had untreated mental health issues, and the mental and physical abuse started early. Growing up, it was hard. Um, I was sexually abused multiple times throughout my whole entire life. My first encounter with sex was actually at uh, two and a half years old. Michelle aged out of foster care at 21 and into a cycle of homelessness. This is how she describes her life in what she called an abandonment, a house with no electricity or running water that she lived in for months. We did get electricity, but it was from next door neighbor, so it was a lot of ex extension cords. I wasn't able to take showers or bath because there was no running water. When you had to go to the bathroom, you had to actually pee and take a number two and buckets. So it was kind of, you know, really hard. We both had to sleep in the same bed because he was a hoarder. So none of the other bedrooms were able to be slept in. The kitchen was not accessible whatsoever. I was already diagnosed with diabetes at the time and needed insulin, which I didn't need technically living with him because I was malnourished. And so I didn't really get a lot of high sugary foods. Michelle says she was being abused, both physically and mentally, 
by the cousin she was living with. He decided to try to physically kill me. He started by removing clothes that was underneath a window um, that uh, wasn't properly sealed. And at that time, it was a code blue, so it was really hard. He removed the blankets that he had given me at the time and decided to crack my door and put the fan on so that I would try to freeze to death. After leaving, she moved to a shelter, then to a couch, again and again, always being met by hardship and abuse. Now she is living at Project Home, in a building with supportive services for young LGBTQ people. About 25 to 40 percent of homeless young people in Philadelphia identify as LGBTQ. It's much more harder for LGBT because of the fact of it's not enough shelters or just organizations that focus on LGBT. And the problem is when you get into just regular ones and people find out, it makes it really hard or unsafe for you because of homophobics. Did you ever feel unsafe in a shelter because you're bisexual? Yes. Um, The first shelter that I was in, a few of the residents there did not like that I was the way that I was. And sometimes it would target bullying for that reason alone of, oh, I can't believe it, or, oh, you're probably with that person. And I'm just like, no, they're just a housemate, or, oh, we don't want you to be in this room because we're scared that you're going to see us with our clothes off and we don't feel comfortable with that. I don't like you like that. You're not my type, but it doesn't matter because I am the way that I am. So even though I can say you're not my type, oh, why wouldn't I be your type? Now you're asking me why you wouldn't be my type. Shouldn't you be happy that that you're not my type, that I'm not looking at you like that? Um, (laughs) But they just didn't care about that. It was just the fact that how dare someone be that way in in the room with me. Now I don't feel safe. Michelle learned about the grant at a Project Home kickoff event. It was inspirational to me. I loved the concept, and I loved the fact that they wanted to help youth. And I said, well, not only do you want to help youth, but you want to help those with lived experience and actually pay them for their voice. It led to a paid internship for her at OHS. This is the longest job she has held due to multiple disabilities. I have PTSD, depression, and anxiety. Like, so it makes it really hard for me to stay at working for long periods of time. The longest I worked before here was six months. Most jobs only stay maybe a month to three months. So for me to be in this position for this long has been incredible and great opportunity and I'm hoping that I stay as long as I possibly can. There is a lot Michelle wants people to know about being homeless. She says there are too many misconceptions like... That you wanted this or that you did something to deserve being homeless. That, oh, you don't want to work or anything, that's why you're homeless. Or, oh, you must have not managed your money properly, that's why you lost your house. Or, you know, you must have messed with the wrong people. That's why you got kicked out or you need to do better. You need to have better 
decision-making skills. And that's not always the truth. Majority of people, it's not that at all. You get kicked out from family members. You get kicked out because even though you're working, you was not in a safe environment. So you'd rather be out on the streets than where you were. Or you don't know any better, especially when it's young people couch hopping. It has nothing to do with you making bad decisions. Maybe the best decision you had was couch hopping versus being in an abusive home or, you know, dealing with being completely on the streets or dealing with drugs or anything else like that. And it's sad when people lose their home because it's devastating. But like, but then sometimes it's better to be on the streets than in that home environment. Young, Unhoused, and Unseen is a production of WHYY News and Temple University Klein College's Logan Center for Urban Investigative Reporting. I'm Yvonne Laddie, co-host, senior producer, and the director of Temple's Logan Center. I'm Kenny Cooper, co-host, producer, and a reporter at WHYY. Our executive producer is Sarah Glover, WHYY's VP of News and Civic Dialogue. Our editors are Jordan Gosperet and Jamila Bay. Music by Drew Levine. Our engineer is Al Banks. Colin Evans is our data editor. Our production assistants are Allison Beck and Natalie Wrights. Funding for this podcast has been provided by WHYY, the Annie E. Casey Foundation, and Temple University's Klein College of Media and Communication. Additional production support was given by Jim McMillan. Special thanks to the Jonathan Logan Family Foundation, the Housing Narrative Lab, Selfink, and Michelle Neal, who shared her story. Please rate and review wherever you are listening and hit us up on social. We want to hear from you. Check out our stories on homelessness and the housing crisis in the Philadelphia region on WHYY.org. Please join us in this conversation. Thanks for listening.